Hi, I'm Gary Brown. I draw The Massive and Catwoman. Uh, you're listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. <laughs> Pretty deadpan woohoo. But <laughs> well, it's fitting, right? Yeah, it's it, good. I, I can't I can't when you can't uh I can't do the real woohoo justice, so I have no. to I can't get my voice that high. Yeah, so you know, I'm just gonna go with the That it was fine. With, with the low key woohoo. It's good. Trickster. People, people's, people's ears deceive them. What this? It's a bonus Sunday episode, which is not all that uncommon, but instead of the Pen Bolton's duo, it's, it's the, the Vince Woodrow duo, which is an okay. unusual pairing. Yes, we have to come up for a name. We do. We do. What are we going to call it? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, it'll come to us. It'll come to us. Right around the corner. <laughs> oh, well, boy. Look at this. Oh, hey, man. everybody. It's 11 o'clock comics episode 593. We are bearing down to 600. And I am. Vince B. Yes, you are, and I am Peter Sellers. Ooh. Mm, do I want to say you're not Peter Sellers? I don't know. <laughs> I really like Peter Sellers, but but you're not. You're not I'm Peter not. Sellers. You're Jason Wood in the house. Why did you pick Peter Sellers? Um. Just just because. Yeah, I'd really like to. I was thinking about how I'd love to. It was born out of the fact that my wife is away, as you know, mm-hmm. and I have been home with kids for four days now. Uh, tomorrow will be five. It's been a blast. But, uh, you know, it's it's also been snowy, so we've been chilling a lot, watching some TV and all that. And I really would love to try and get them into the old Pink Panther movies. Ugh. But they just don't seem to be ready. They don't seem to be willing to give them a try. And it breaks my heart because I just – I love those movies. I love Peter Sellers so much. I think he's just one of the funniest guys ever, and 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 it's, I think he's completely lost on this generation just because true that his stuff isn't in circulation. And I think when they think of Pink Panther, they think of uh, Steve Martin, who is very funny in his own right. Don't get me wrong. I, I think Steve Martin's had some great moments in his career, but but Steve Martin is Pink Pan- uh, as as uh, Inspector Clouseau Nasan can't have it. Yeah. Well, I took the steps to do this what you desire to do and I tried to get them into the old Pink Panthers by showing them the new Pink Panthers because Beyoncé, right? And yes. they enjoyed the Steve Martin Pink Panthers mm-hmm. and they were reciting lines and 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 of course Beyoncé is Nina's favorite performer ever. Okay. And I and then I said, okay, here's where it came from, and they got about 20 minutes into it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Cra- it's hard out here. Crash and burn. Yeah. Yeah, I know you're a big Peter Sellers fan. We've talked about that before. Yeah. Now, do you remember how he died? Oh boy. He died early. Yes, he did. Um, I. Duh, damn it. What did yeah, he die? I don't of? remember offhand. Oh okay. no, I don't remember. Yeah, I don't. It could have been like a it, – it, it was probably an undiagnosed ailment or something. I don't remember. Mm. But, but in case you are wondering, hey, this sounds a little strange. There's only two voices coming out of my earbud. Uh, it's because David is not here tonight. 
And True. yeah, he's impromptu. He's, we should say because we had a we had a plan for tonight. We do. We did have a plan. This was gonna. Well, it's still going to be. We were gonna do another Puppet Master episode for you. And if you don't know what the Puppet Master episodes are, I'm gonna tell you. Uh, what we do is each host chooses what the other host reads. I picked a book for Jason and David, and and so on and so on. They pick books for me, and uh, so you're gonna hear about four. Of those choices, and mm-hmm. maybe David will, will come at you next time with the books we chose for him. And it's not going to be a surprise because I'm not going into the gallery for this episode and pulling out all the images I already put up. And I'm not going to alter our album art, or <laughs> our, 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 our featured image. So you're going to know at least what one of David's choices, uh, what we chose for David was. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it happens. Things happen. But we're going to persevere, and um, perseverance. Perseverance is a is a strong trait, and it's uh, something that Discount Comic Book Service has in spades, mm-hmm. because they are relentless in getting you your books for the price uh, far below what everybody else is paying. Massive discounts on the books at DCBService.com. But unfortunately, you know the drill: the list of specials. What with it being only. The early days of March, the list of specials for this month is not up yet. But the discounts will be both deep and plentiful. You know it. It's always the same. You look in your previews, you select what you want, and then the list of specials go up, and you're like, oh, my God, I'm getting this for half off. Life is wonderful, and it's going to happen at dis- Discount Comic Book Service, dcbservice.com. That's it. The best, man. They are. I'm a little worried you know, this month, though. Me, I was just going to say that. I got my previews, like we've talked about a million times. It's like my uh, Sears Wish Book, uh, because it was snowy, and this is literally the week before the switch of seasons for sports. So all three of my kids play lacrosse. They all start lacrosse. Well, Colin's already started for high school, but but there was nothing this weekend. But they all start lacrosse next week, so this is kind of a dead weekend. Right. I woke up on Saturday, cooked the kids breakfast, put the dogs out. Boom, boom, handle on my business, got the fire going, sat down with the previews, nice cafefe, started <laughs> looking through the previews. I don't know, man. I got salty. I got yeah. straight Lowry's. I can understand. Let me guess, the Marvel catalog in, uh, specifically. Bruh, you know, I try to keep it real. I try to keep it, we try to keep it positive, but we, we're also not fake. And 99 times out of 100, I love looking through previews and... I don't know what it was this time. Well, I do know what it was, but I don't know why it hit me a certain way this time. But, man, it really left a bad taste in my mouth. I, I was totally and completely turned off by the state of Marvel looking through previews. Like, like to the point where I thought, maybe I should just do the Marvel you know, Marvel, Marvel Digital Unlimited full-time. I, I Like, it's... It was that kind of feeling. Now it's transient. Obviously, I'm sure I'll order a ton of Marvel books when the dust settles. But but I just, yeah, it just left me feeling some kind of way because three things, three things. First, and this is going to sound like a really hollow complaint because I don't read most of them anyway, but there's like 15 or 20 Star Wars comic books this month. Now, you could say, well, what do you care? Read the one or two that you like, and who cares about the rest? And you're absolutely right. But I don't know what it is, but for me, I was reading Jason Aaron's Star Wars. I was reading Vader when uh, Kieran Gillen was doing it. 
Um, when they left the books, I left those books. And then I just am so overwhelmed when I look at previews now because there's just this massive amount of Star Wars stuff coming out. It just feels like it's easier to avoid the whole thing entirely. So that's number one. Number two, uh, Age of X-Men, which is born out of the start to Uncanny, which I've already said I didn't like at all, where um, Nate Gray is back in the picture. Uh, this is basically Age of Apocalypse, only it's Age of X-Men. It's the same kind of thing. Reality sh- sh- you know, shifted, warped, what have you. Um, there's a, just the, All the mutant titles are pulled into that now. Uh, for like some kind of you know event, which is off to a bad start, and then the main reason, the thing that just left me almost—I mean, it seems silly to say that I'm physically exhausted from something like reading a comics catalog, but dude, I mean, it—it was—I I didn't know if you—I don't know if you counted, but there there had to be thirty, forty war of war of uh, uh, the realms, r- war of realms tie-ins, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot. I counted how many. I counted the Star Wars books, including. Oh, okay. There's eleven. In, okay, that's less in, than I thought. But that's okay. still a lot of books. That but, is a lot, yeah. And that's including the special. Um, let's pick up where Marvel left off issue. Uh huh. Um, I have it. The previews open now. I think it would be very boring if we just sat here and counted them all. But it looks like there's at least thirty. Yeah. Oh, here's the 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 list. There is. 25 were the mm. realm books that's a little excessive it is man and, and, it, think... and it, it, it you're right you don't have to read them all but when you're when you're going through the the list and it always feels like i'm missing something if i just stick to the main mini and i see all this this plethora of of tie-ins i'm like oh damn it's, yeah is something gonna happen in these books that i don't know about like i well i'm, I'm not gonna know about it but it it always feels like you're hearing a conversation by two friends that did something and you weren't mm-hmm. included, and it's like mm, you get a little salty. I understand how you feel. Well, and it's twofold, really, because um, it's it's part yes that you feel like you're, you're are you are you if you don't read them are you missing something? Um, and I think it's impossible to have that many coming out and there not be chinks in the armor. So I I the last few events at both companies have mainly stuck to the event book itself. And any books that I was already reading, if they cro- cross over, so be it. Um, but number one, you still are left. Uh, very rarely do they keep to their promise of just giving you everything you need to know inside of the pages of the event itself. Right. So that's number one. But number two, and and the part that felt exhausting, so many of the books that they're tying in are are books that I'm enjoying at Marvel currently. Right. And so I'm gonna. It's gonna. Whatever's happening for probably two months if not three we're just going to stop all that and these heroes are going to have three issues two three issues doing other stuff and then we're going to pick up where we left off and that is just i think such a way to kill momentum like it just it just stops you in your tracks it looks like the cosmic books have been uh exempt because cosmic ghost rider captain marvel number five guardians nothing and also black panther and daredevil I was going to say I um, have not done my my previews video for the month yet, but I probably will do it this week. And one of my plans is to give some love to the Marvel books that you're alluding to, which are not tied into uh, the event. Yep. So and and also let me and because we've had some discussion of this in the group, I, I, I don't take what I'm saying right now as as suggesting that. Uh, I think the event shouldn't happen or that I think it's going to suck. Like I, 
it's written by Jason Aaron, and we know from our friends, quote unquote, in the industry that this is not a ham-fisted event that they just threw together. Uh, Jason's put a lot of thought into this. He's been building to it in his books. So I do, I am open to the idea that the main event itself will be entertaining. Um, sure. Now I'm not. I'm not convinced it will be because events do do tend to um, be hard for me these days. But 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 I am open to it. So I, it's not that I'm just like oh events. I, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying I, if you're going to give me an event, give me the event. Let me buy those books. Make it significant. And if there's good reason to have the main players in the event uh, involved in it in their books, okay. Like you want to put you want to have this. It's going on in Thor it makes all the sense in the world. Sure, makes sense. Um, but anyway, yeah, enough. enough. I, you know, we'll, let's talk about stuff we like. But yeah, it, it just it did it rub, rubbed me the wrong way. It really did. And they're putting out a ton of Spider books too. A ton of Spider Man books. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I, I pay less attention to that, I guess, because I, I wouldn't. I, I generally am not a reader of most of them. I I'm reading the Miles Morales book. Not reading Amazing right now. I know. Dap sung friendly neighborhoods praises, but I haven't. Or no, is was with superior. See, superior. See, you're right. I, I yeah, he sung superior. I haven't read that. I haven't read friendly neighborhoods. So, yeah, it's and um. There's, there's the black. Uh, there's the symbiote suit. Spider Man going on too, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. But I think it's more a case of just read with you what you want and uh, sure. read and enjoy sure. what you want. I mean, yes, the, the the mob mentality kicks in whenever an event gears up and and you know, you read about it online and everybody's talking about it and it's it's human nature to want to jump on board that train, but it's it's really not necessary. I mean, we've been fooled many, many times. Just read what you want. Just read the main series. And if you want to go to the the side stage and check out the supporting bands every once in a while, go ahead. But it, it's it's all um, what you can afford and what you like, really. Very true. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of uh, what you like, dare I ask <laughs> on this fine uh, day of atonement uh, what you're drinking? <laughs> that word is not in my vocabulary. <laughs> well, I am drinking water. So I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to, to do the, the six o'clock thing. It's working out well. I feel better, but it's, yes, it's putting a serious damper on my, uh, EOC festivities. Did you at least go and grab a big cup full of the snow outside of your house and let that melt into water? <laughs> no, because you never know what's in that stuff. No. Very true. Yeah. Well, I, um, for those that are up to date and listening to this, I'm drinking, I'm starting off the same way I started off last episode, which is a Storm King Imperial Stout from Victory. But I am washing it down with a different finisher. Uh, this this evening, I'll be going with the Kona Brewing Company's Longboard Island Lager. Hmm. Heard of that. I've never had it. You heard? I did. Mm-hmm. Dogs are going crazy upstairs. Huh? Yeah. So here's the rub. Puppet Master. I chose a book for David and Jason, and they in turn chose books for me, and blah blah blah. It's how it works. You're pulling, mm-hmm. you're pulling the other host's strings, and uh, I'm gonna go first. Okay. Because David knows me so well, knows what I love. He selected the Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number One. This is after the the new series launched, so Number One, which came out in 2018. It was written by Saladin Ahmed, 
Gary Brown on art, and Lee Lowridge uh, was the colorist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so now this it tickles a very specific, very sweet spot. Uh, and there are many of those sweet spots uh, among us uh, we Spider-Man fans. And this is specifically the uh, symbiote era. Right after Peter came back from Secret Wars and he had the black suit, the symbiote. And um, it's it's during, he's trying to get his life back together, right? And he's an emotional wreck. What does Peter do? Peter worries about everything, right? As usual. he He's worrying about um work he's worrying about his relationships he's worrying about Aunt may um and he's failing at everything right he's catching flack from robbie robertson Aunt may's giving him grief like peter i never see you what's up with this um the hottie that is uh literally throwing herself at him black cat is is like you know peter you're not going to get too many chances at this buddy she goes i mean look at this you know i'm i'm coming to you and that's not what the black cat does right so you better step up and he's like yeah i know but i I haven't really been sleeping all that well um peter's been distant both literally and figuratively because um the alien symbiote and and the the issue is written the point of view from which the story is told is from the symbiotes, right? And the, and the symbiote is taking over Peter's body as he sleeps. Um, he he thinks his his meat, as he calls him, is um, a, a stalwart stand-up hero kind of guy, and he and he wants to continue that kind of thing while Peter is getting his rest. And the symbiote doesn't quite get it. You know, he tries to be a surrogate Peter. He's out there um, nocturnally protecting the weak, but he takes things a little bit too far. Um, He doesn't uh, subdue the perps. He savagely beats them and in some cases kills them. And uh, one part, the symbiote Spidey busts up an altercation between Hammerhead's goons and a, a bunch of guys playing dice, right? So the the symbiote comes in swinging and punching and cutting and he kills or, or he he beats down and kills everyone there except one young um uh black kid and he's like yo what are you doing this is not how spider-man works he goes what, what, what's going on man and the uh he's like the, the spider-man doesn't heroes don't kill this is crazy so the symbiote takes the kid web-slinging, web and and they encounter a building. It's on fire, right? And there's an old man in the window. He's like, oh, help me. So the, the kid's like, yo, you got to take care of this guy. Save him, right? But what do we know is one of the symbiote's mortal uh, fears, and that's fire. But he does it anyway, and he feels, well, I, I, I guess I'm putting thoughts into the symbiote's mind but i guess it's apropos he he feels good about what he did like the the the, the kids like you, you did a good thing this is what heroes do um so he drops off the kid in an alleyway he's like my mom's is going to get be wondering where i'm at just just take me home like leave me right here and I'll, I'll get home and as he's going home who pops up at hammerhead and uh takes the kid into captivity it, it, to lure the the spider-man into his uh, clutches and hammerhead has a a sonic weapon 
right? And he's pummeling the, the symbiote with this sonic weapon, and he goes down hard, and, and he has, Hammerhead has him on the ropes, um, and the kid literally walks up behind Hammerhead and pulls the plug on his sonic weapon. Damn. It's hard yeah. out here. He, he just pulls, the, pulls, a, pulls a, a, a tube out from uh, one connecting section, and the, the, the weapon stops, and uh, the symbiote Spider-Man beats Hammerhead to a pulp. Um, and he goes to his goons. He goes, we're never going to speak about this again, you know. Um, so the symbiote learned the fragile nature of meat uh, from the kid, and he backs off a little on his nocturnal adventures. Pete gets a little bit of sleep, you know. But he, And at the end, Peter takes his suit to Reed, um, Mr. Fantastic, and uh, Reed drops the bomb. He's like, this thing's parasitic. You got to get that shit off you now, right now. And that's kind of where the issue ended, you know. Um, and mm-hmm. it was it, it was fun. I, I think Gary's Gary Brown's art was uh, fitting in that there was a a, a slight glimpse of Salbacima in it, but I mean you know Gary's work. He doesn't have um, a style that is completely like Sal's, but it's in the it's in the same parking lot, you know, and uh, it it was loose and free, and and the expressions were akin to what Sal does. So, uh, that smack dab right in that era. Right. Uh, but push comes to shove. I mean, I, I didn't learn anything new. It just seemed like they were, um, Ahmed was just rehashing old plot lines, right? Which, and, and judging from a page in the back of the book, which says, Hey, if you like this, we have this. And it was the two volume epic collection featuring the symbiote, saga and it was uh, a pitch for donny kate's venom like so it was i think the issue was done as a a teaser to get you to read something else because Mm -hmm. because there was really nothing new explored like aside from i mean we we knew the 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 symbiote was brutal um we knew it was taking control of peter as he was sleeping like there was nothing no new ground covered in this thing at all and i don't really that's not something i require especially when i read a spider-man book like if you just entertain me and and make it seem like the voice coming out of peter's mouth is approximately what i've been reading for decades and you know we're good but um like i said i enjoyed it but it wasn't really a super necessary purchase, and it, it it didn't really break new ground. It was enjoyable. That's it. I mean, if if that's a a detriment that that it didn't go anywhere new, then maybe you should steer clear of this. But I I I had fun with it, and I didn't hate it when I was done. So let's just. I mean, that's not a a resounding um, praise for this thing. But it was. It it is what it is. It was fun. Fun Spider Man. Uh, adventures that that tickled a, a very specific era in his history, and I liked it. I wouldn't. I don't think I would recommend it to anyone who had well versed in Spider Man, right? You know, because it's it's there's really nothing exceptional about the issue, other than mm-hmm. it, it was entertaining. Yeah, I I yeah. hate to. I'm not. I'm not gonna. Um, you know, say this was the greatest. Uh, retelling of of uh, an incident in Spider-Man's history. It was a mm-hmm. fun book. That's it. Yeah, well executed, right? I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Necessary? Maybe not. You know? 
Agreed. Yeah. I mean, D- David, uh, he, he's 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 the kind-hearted of the three of us, right? We can agree with that. Is he? Yeah. When it comes to this kind of thing, uh, specifically Spider-Man. Yeah, I'm I'm guessing. No, I mean in the in that he gave you and I both books. I think he knew we would enjoy. Oh yeah. Like I was planning on giving you something. I thought I I was certain that you'd hate. And I for thought, the record, I would rather you have given me a boundless book than what you gave me. But no, 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 not. No, we'll get to it. I'm not. That, that came out wrong. I'm not. Oh, okay. Not, but I'm saying, like, I, I would have. It would have been a hoot to for you and I to come on on a on a, on on the the uh, the day of prayer and talk about boundless comics. That'd be great. You know, um, I'm a sucker for giving them a chance because they are part of Avatar. And when a new boundless book comes out, I at least look through it. And oh, do you? And they're terrible. They're so terrible. Yeah. I read uh, I can't even remember the title of it. I read I read like three issues of one of them um a couple months ago. I was going to put it up on the Patreon mm-hmm. cuz I thought it'd be funny just to review them in a serious manner, but to your point they were just so bad. And and it's not a case of the art being bad because they're, they're... Well, the, the art is it's not like heinous how are you even publishing a comic bad but it's no. it is everything you think of in a typical stereo or a stereotypical licensed comic situation right they, um for those who don't know they they what they do is they present new stories featuring female characters like belladonna and 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 that ilk and then they plumb the depths of the avatar archives for the porn comics that they used to do many 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 years ago and what they'll they'll do is they'll give you uh, a new story and then it's followed by a an archive avatar porn story that's basically what they are Mm. they're they're just flat out porn there's and then you'll get something else at the end and they have insanely graphic variant covers that yes yes and and i'd love to know who buys but they, they must. They must buy them because they somebody. keep making them. Yeah, and, and I have to laugh because when you see the regular cover and the poses in which it's the, so funny, it, right? it's hysterical. <laughs> because number one, nobody. There's one where the the title character I don't even know who it is 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 subduing a villain, and I'm thinking there's no way in hell that she would subdue the villain in that position. Because it's it's they with, always are some type of legs akimbo. Yeah, or the right, the butt right. up in the air and the legs yeah, are spread. Right, and it's right. like, yeah. it's 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 so well. I shouldn't even be talking about it because I'm a, a huge fan of bad taste. The 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 yes. the badder the taste, the the more it appeals to me. But this is just it's it's high school locker room shenanigans. I I don't even think these books would go over well in among high school students like all of the things that are present in these books are available on the internet for free I agree. with, I, with I real people to, to give a, a, some of like a digital files of this to my were you i mean if we were to give it to our oldest sons mm-hmm. like in any case he's your youngest but he's your only son you know what i mean our sons are our, our, our teenage sons high school sons i think they would probably share them with their friends and and, and make fun of them i don't they, think oh, they'd they find definitely them. would yeah they wouldn't find them titillating they wouldn't Give us the yeah. high five and say thanks for hooking it up. They they would be like, really, dude? Like, yeah, but they're not completely a- terrible because the art is of, it, there there is an accomplished uh, edge to the art. Like you you mm-hmm. need to be 
um, well-versed in anatomy to do what they do, right? So, sure. And, and the fact that Rallo Caceres does a bunch of covers for them, mm-hmm. uh, Rallo's great. But, mm-hmm. I mean, the money must be coming for, coming in. So, you know, I don't want to say good for them, but uh, no, it's, yeah, they're making it, it work. Is, man. Yeah, they're making it work. To each his own. Right. So the King Dap gave me William Gibson's Alien 3, number one by Dark Horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, written by, uh, well, adapt, written by William Gibson, but adapted and illustrated by Johnny Christmas. Who I believe her Facebook friends with, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, colored by Tamara Bonvillain. And uh, they are the same team that worked on the Angel Catbird book uh, with letters by Nate Picos. So I wish that were here because I'm curious as to why he gave me this in the sense that I like I wonder if he thinks that I don't like alien books because I feel like I've read a lot of alien comics in the last year or two. Uh, I've read the Stoko stuff. I read the Hardman stuff. I read the Brian Wood stuff. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I've been pretty up to date the last few years with Dark Horse's alien stuff. We, I know we all read the, um, I can't think of the, t- the event that the, tied in all the books. Um, yeah, Fire and Stone. Fire and Stone. Read mm-hmm. all that. Uh, enjoyed all that. So this is not a, a universe that I'm unfamiliar with or that I'm out of date with necessarily. Um, but uh, for listeners that don't know the significance of this book versus the many other uh, Aliens books that Darkos has been putting out, um, William Gibson, uh, and shame on you if you don't know it, I'm going to hope you're young enough that it's an excuse for our age and you don't know who William Gibson is, shame on you. Um, he is a well-renowned and justifiably renowned science fiction author, uh, most most notably for Neuromancer. Um which I adored. I mean, that was a book that came out in 1984, which for me was the golden era of comics. It's when I got into comics and, uh, I remember reading this book as well. And it was a big topic of, uh, conversation. In fact, way more of my friends read Neuromancer and we were into it than read comics back then for sure. But uh, anyway, um, some, some of you may know this if you're a fan of the films, but, uh, William Gibson, um, again, a renowned science fiction author, was hired to write the screenplay for the third Alien movie after the first two were smash box office hits. And it was just an absolute shit show. Um, it's not worth getting into everything that happened, but basically uh, it just went through a million different people's hands. Uh, the, ho- the, the, the producers just kept... Uh, there were just there was all kinds of conflict uh, with 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 William Gibson's script. Uh, it was David Fincher's first directorial uh, directorial movie, uh, his first directorial debut, and um, uh, he didn't agree with the script. And and long story short, the movie was horribly uh, over budget, um, convoluted. Fincher ended up leaving the movie before it was finished, um, and the movie that came out resembles absolutely nothing. Uh, of what William Gibson's initial screenplay was. So somehow, some way, um, dark horse got the rights to take his screenplay and adapt it. And that's what this is. So I was pretty stoked for this because, uh, I loved alien and aliens who didn't. Right. And I still remember the jaw on the floor side. eye of going to see aliens three in the movies and, uh, just being like, wow, really? Yeah. Like, for those that don't know or don't watch the movies, um, in the film 
the, the third movie of the, of, in the on the film trilogy, Ripley um, lands on a her ship lands on a prison planet, and it's basically a excuse for the aliens to wreak havoc to hundreds and hundreds of horrible male males throughout the movie. And Ripley plays the Messiah, even to the point where she's got the queen's uh, embryo in her stomach and sacrifices herself by diving into a vat of lava or fire. I forget what it was, but some kind of fiery pit that like was the fuel of the planet or whatever. And she dies with her arms out. Like she's on the crucifix and gets and, and sacrifices herself. It's it was and then she, the the uh, chest burster is coming out as she's falling. And right, she right. grabs it. It's so right. exactly poorly she done. Cradles it like baby. Yeah. Jesus. Oh god, baby Jesus. It's it's just horrible. <laughs> um, but anyway, this is not that. No, which is great. Thankfully. It's great. Um, <laughs> full disclosure: I ended up reading all the issues of this so far. Nice. So, um. So I will I will have to apologize um, in that I I don't quite remember where the first issue left off um, because I'm far beyond that. So if I say anything that happens outside of the issue, don't sue me. Um, but but this adaptation essentially takes place immediately after the end of the second film where they are on the Sulaco. That's the name of their ship. It is. Uh, Bishop is the android has been ripped in half, but he's he's there. Uh, you've got Ripley, you've got uh, Newt, and you've got uh, Hicks. They're all in cryo, and their ship, uh, quote unquote, malfunctions, or at least allegedly malfunctions, and goes into the territory of um, the Union of Progressive Peoples, which is we come to find out. Um, some kind of quasi-governmental corporation that is in direct competition with Wayland Utani, the the not so benevolent benefactors of all of the uh, alien exploration missions. And when they move into that territory, it violates some kind of treaty. So the UPP sends its own crew in to investigate slash salvage slash ransack the ship. Um, of course, what happens in alien, any aliens movie um, or any aliens story? They, they get on the ship and what do you have? What they walk up and they see the half ripped apart bishop, and of course there's an egg sack, and boom, face grabber gets right into the right into the business and kills one of the people, and the rest of them um, make hay and uh, get back to their main base. Um, but, you know, we go from there. Again, it's a familiar setting in that regard. Yeah. Um, not, not not breaking new ground, particularly if you've read other alien comics or books. It's it, There's only so much you can do with the with the basic story of Alien. It, it always is going to involve that same kind of give or take. Um, and what this is really about, and, and clearly this does come through in the adaptation, so I give Christmas a lot of credit. Um, this story and Gibson's screenplay were very much um, uh, a product of its time, which is to say he wrote it during the Cold War. And this is very much the Cold War. It's, it's, it's two corporations that have near omnipotent power at war with each other um, and debating the um, – they're both violating the rules that they've agreed upon, um, but they both are kind of denying that they're violating them. 
And it all surrounds this idea of this biological weapon, which many think is probably the best biological weapon ever created, right? Because the alien, the xenomorph, right. is the perfect killing machine. Um, and again, I think this happens after the first issue, but it goes so far as to the scientists studying the uh, the remains of the of the aliens that they bring aboard um, comes to the conclusion that in fact um, there is no need to weaponize this because it's already been weaponized to perfection. In their opinion, the, the xenomorphs are a species that was created by a, a, another alien race to be the perfect bioweapon, and it's already perfected. Um, which is cool, but that also means when you have a perfect weapon aboard your ship, things are going to go bad, and they do. Um, and there's a huge reveal, I think. In, are you reading us? I've just read the first issue. Okay. There's a huge reveal in the third or fourth issue, and I would love for you and Dap, once you've read it, for us to talk about it, because it is definitely a departure from anything we've seen in the Alien mythos so far. Well, let's fly. I want to I wanna hear it. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. One of the... Um, one of the Wayland yutani uh, overseers, the, she's a pretty blonde woman that kind of looks like uh, um, like magic. Yeah, yeah. She, she, she's an alien. The, the xenomorphs have figured out how to morph into humanoid form. And Ooh, speak. no. And, and I, I kind of feel some kind of way about that. Yeah, that's not a good idea. Because they're pure, and even in the, even in the comic, they express how these beings are pure primal killing there's there's no brain they don't like it's their only their only biological imperative is to kill and recreate reproduce that's its only mission there's nothing else driving it and so i'm not sure how that works with someone that can take on a human form and sustain it and reason and walk around and have conversations now, is, she, is she a drone or is she a queen i don't know that i don't know that they've established that yet because the hive mind thing, the it, the drones exist just to serve the queen. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. So it, I mean, even if she was a queen, that's still it's pretty hackneyed. I mean, why if you had this this life form that was perfect uh, in in terms of form and function, why do you have to add this wrinkle of of uh, camouflage that that it could assume it just doesn't make sense right it's unnecessary and i'll be honest i really was vibing on this until that point i thought oh this is good i mean it's it it, i don't think it broke new ground no it wasn't meant to it was it was william gibson was hired to write the the third act of a of a trilogy so um it felt very much like a fitting third act which the the one that we got in the theaters was not um now we'll see where it goes from here with that reveal we'll see if it Sticks the landing. I, I suspect it went in a direction that's going to a little bit take me out of it. But um, but based on this issue, though, I mean, uh, I, I think Johnny Christmas does a wonderful job. I, I think he's a very talented illustrator. Um, yeah. I know you're much more familiar with his work than I am. Uh, and I think Tamara does a nice job with the colors. Uh, she's definitely on the come up in terms of industry color artists. So, yeah, I, I thought the first issue was rock solid. It definitely would hook you in. Like I said, I, I read because Dap asked me to read it. I read the first one and I immediately read the other three um, straight through. So, had had I stuck with it, I would be irate at that that uh, reveal. Yeah, see, uh, yeah, I, I would. Yeah, so same thing. I mean, I think I don't know if it's five or six issue series, but I'm 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 not super stoked now to finish it. Yeah, because I thought, okay, wah, 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 right. Uh, until Prometheus, 
the Alien franchise was cursed. I truly believe it was cursed because um, this, to me, with that reveal that you just mentioned, that's right. that's no better than what we got on the screen for Alien exactly 3. right. Like I think you'd you'd be in the theater for the first hour thinking, yes, this is what we should have had. And then you get that, and you're like, "Wait, what?" Okay, yep. no. And I would go as far to say that I think it would be more of a detriment to the franchise as a whole than what they did in Alien Three. Yep, the, it's it's just egregious. It's unnecessary, yeah. and it's and it's insane. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, Agreed. but but at least uh, Prometheus and Covenant picked it up. Yes, yes, so. very true. Yeah. So there you go. So William Gibson's Alien 3, number one. Since I've already spoiled the major reveal to you, you'll have to decide if that's a turnoff or not. If it is, <laughs> you might not want to bother. 99.9% <laughs> of the people yeah, listening to this is like, oh, screw that shit. <laughs> that's how we do. That's how we do. That's how we do. Yep. So why don't you tell the world what I asked you to read? Okay, full disclosure. <laughs> Before reading... Um, the book that Jason had me read, I had only read the first arc of Black Hammer. Okay. And nothing else. Okay? Okay. And I enjoyed the first arc very much, but as with many things, um, and I read it in trade, I read the first issue when it came out, read the first arc in trade, and I haven't progressed past that point. I, I am aware that there's a library edition of uh, Black Hammer that, that collects a bunch more than I've read, and I'm going to probably seek that out. Uh, so Jason, knowing full well my love of all things H.P. Lovecraft, unapologetic love of H.P. Lovecraft, uh, he deigned that I read Black Hammer Cthulhuese number 1. Written, of course, by Jeff Lemire, illustrated by Emmy Lennox, and uh, I was not enjoying it <laughs> to a certain, but there was a point where Lemire won me over completely. Oh, because, he completely won me over. Okay, because full disclosure, uh, production meeting behind the scenes, you told us this week that one of the two books that we gave you, you hated and one you did not. So no. I assumed you hated mine. No, 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 no. I, I hated a book that was given to David. Oh, oh, yes. okay. Yes. Oh, I misunderstood and, that. No, and we'll let him talk about it uh, in due time. But uh, And it was the book that you gave him. I absolutely... Uh, which one did I give him? Die, number one. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, hated okay. every page of that thing. Oh, okay, okay. Yep. yep. Um, so... Here's here's the deal. Little Louise is a um it's a stranger in a strange land type story like yes. The Spiral City has seen its fair share of monsters and um evil doers and superpowered beings and giant robots and but um Louise is uh even more excessive in the fact that she is a little girl who has a face. Um in the traditional uh, Cthulhu vein, uh, she's she has little pretty girl eyes, but uh, mm -hmm. and everything below the nose is tentacles. Yeah, right. And uh, Louise is having a hard time in school at home. Her her parents are, are not the best parents in the world. Uh, Dad used to be a plumber. Mr. Uh, Kaminsky, and I wonder if that's a tip of the hat to Len Kaminsky. 
mm-hmm. the the uh, the great comic book scribe. Uh, but I would presume. Yeah. So uh, Louise's father's Lou Kaminsky. Cthulhu. And, yeah. <laughs> so stupid. And uh, uh, Lou is, is a plumber, or he was a plumber. And he he had a call. You know, he had, had to go down to the sewer in Spiral City. And um, what does he encounter but a uh, the Black Hammer variation on the great uh, old one, uh, Cthulhu. And this thing lives in the sewers, and it, it, it transforms him. And uh, as a result, uh, Lou got the tentacles, and he's green, and he, and he resembles Cthulhu in, in, in facial features anyway. And uh, Lou became a supervillain. And I don't know if it – I don't think it footnotes it, but um, – because you said you haven't read this. Um, in Sherlock Frankenstein and the Legion of Evil, uh, the Force Humanity series, uh, Cthulhu is the – focal point of the second issue of that miniseries. Ah, ah. Well, Lou eventually bores. He becomes bored with being a super uh, villain, and somewhere along the line, he fathers a child, and that child is Louise, and Louise unfortunately, uh, genetically, takes takes more after her father than her mother. And she's green and has the tentacles, and um, as you can expect, a child that's uh, inserted into a a school situation with children that are more often than not normal right they they abuse her they they call her names they shoot spitballs at her they pin uh disturbing notes on her locker they just taunt the kid and abuse her and and then she goes home and and her life at home isn't much better either you know um dad uh is abusive to the point where he actually struck her he hit her and he's like, suck it up, you know, you, you got to be strong out there. The world's going to eat you alive. And he, and he hits the girl. So um, little Louise, she's, she's had enough. And um, all the while, she's, she's receiving communications from her grandfather in the sewer. And I think it's cute that she's being called by Cthulhu. Of course, the, the story from which all this is derived is Lovecraft's Call of Cthulhu. Right. So um, Louise gets the call and, and she's like, oh, I can't take it anymore. I'm leaving home. She leaves her parents a note. She's like, you know, I know you didn't love me, but I love you. You guys basically suck and I'm out of here. I'm going to go see what grandpa wants. She doesn't, you know, in a matter of speaking. So she goes into the sewer and she encounters her grandfather. And he's, oh, and the tentacles are flailing. And he's like, yeah, what do you want? And uh, she just wants to be normal. Little Louise just wants nothing more than to fit in, to, to, to stop being abused and, and taunted and ridiculed and, and, and uh, you know, subject. Just, she just wants to fit in, please. And Grandpa's like, okay, you want to fit in? I'll, I'll make you fit in, but you got to do something for me. You got to kill for me. And Louise is like, hell no. And she runs away and grandpa's still calling to her. And this is the part that completely won me over. She's like, okay, you want me to kill? I'll kill. Fuck this. And she goes back to school and murders her classmates. (laughs) She rips them apart. I think it's so beautiful the way he did it. (laughs) Like, and it's, and, and for those of you who haven't seen the issue, the issue is very, it, it's very stylized. It's done in a in a faux um, adolescent style. Like it's it's it it's not very it's not super detailed. 
Um, but it, it fits very well in with a young reader's type, yes. type book, which I thought mm-hmm. was perfect. But the language is very raw. Right. It's, it's an, now they're, it's, they're, they were partners in a book called Plutona, which is where they first worked together. And then, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, the language is R, rated R, and the visuals are like, they're all ages. They, they look, there's, there's no explicit, you mm. know, nudity or anything. But once she starts, once she gets to school, the, the symbol on her forehead is glowing. And it always reminds me of Rarebit Fiends, that symbol, which you have never read. And for the reason it was done by Rick Veach. But, uh, that symbol is, is everywhere in, in Rarebit Fiends. But mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's a smiley face with the, the hands. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so, um, she's all, She's got the power of grandpa behind her and grandpa's alpha tagging, you know, blah, 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 and the giant mouth. And she's ripping kids apart and squeezing them. And, and the, the tentacles are going through their bodies and there's blood everywhere. And Cthulhu is like, okay, you, you did me a solid. I'll do you one. And he transports her across time and space. Uh, very appropriate for a, a story that uh, hinges on the work of H.P. Lovecraft. And she drops out of this portal that's shaped in in the form of Cthulhu's mouth, and she's home, the home planet where everybody looks the same. Mm-hmm. They, you know, different body types, but they all have the tentacles flailing and the that symbol on their forehead. And and they reach down, and she's on her knees. They reach down, and she she picks herself up, and she's crying because now I'm at a place where everyone's just like me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's ridiculous, but if if she ran away from Cthulhu and she she existed as um, an outcast in this world, I wouldn't have liked this. Mm-hmm. But the fact that she surrenders to her base impulses, she she becomes what she is. I mean, if right, you're if you're right. a descendant of Cthulhu, you know you're you're not going to be a superhero. You're going to be one of the one of the greatest villains ever. You know, you're just waiting to come up to the surface and destroy everything. And that's what she does. She destroys and she kills and it's great. And it was totally unexpected. And I enjoyed it. Good. Yeah, I did. I liked it a lot. I'm happy to hear that. It was, there was a turning point though. <laughs> I'm like, God damn, Jason, why are you giving me this stuff to read? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's cute. It's very cute. It is. I think that the choice of Emmy was. Well thought because it, I think it does have that arresting impact mm-hmm. where you're going along and it's this cutesy little story and then, oh, okay. Who's the rat? The rat. Yeah, Cthulhu has a, a familiar, it's a rat. Don't the, know that. The I rat. I don't remember if that was dealt with in this. Oh, because the, the rat has the symbol on the forehead too and he's got mm-hmm. the green glowing eyes and he's like, you gotta, the, the Cthulhu speaks in, in typical, um, acolyte Cthulhu acolyte speak with the Fatagan and the you know all the the traditional H.P. Lovecraft um, hyphenated, uh, mm-hmm. very uh, difficult to pronounce words. And the rat is basically his mouthpiece. Right, right. Yeah, it's right. fun, fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Good. I'm glad you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. That, nah. That's good. Uh, we're we have a similar path here. I think. Oh really? You assigned me the Lone Ranger number one. Yes, I did. Written by Mark Russell, with art by Bob Q. And now I know you had a big giggle by giving me a pulp book. I'm sure you were like, oh, I'm going to give him a pulp book. Uh, 
But I wasn't – I didn't go in with my hackles raised because, number one, I think Mark Russell's terrific. Yes. So I said, okay, well, we're in good hands here. And believe it or not, I was familiar with Bob Q because I have a domino commission from him. Knew that. So I didn't know if he had sequential chops, but at least I knew I didn't – I found his visual aesthetic was going to be pleasing. Um now, I I will pose something to you after I talk about the book about the Lone Ranger specifically, which which irks me a bit, like okay. the concept of Lone Ranger. But but speaking to this comic, it it is I don't think it breaks tremendous new ground. Like like when I saw that Mark Russell wrote it, I thought, oh, this could be really interesting because Mark came into a lot of our um, circle of awareness by the stuff he was doing in books like Flintstones, where he was taking well-known properties and just flipping the script on them and presenting them in an entirely different light. So I thought, okay, if that's what he's going to do with Lone Ranger, wow, this is going to be terrific. Now, I don't think... That's what he's doing in this first issue. I think it's a bit more straightforward take on Lone Ranger, which is fine. Um, again, he's a good writer, so he's up to the task. But I, I was a bit surprised that he stuck to the script as much as he did. Um, and with with that said, the, the story is, is one that if you're familiar with the Western genre, uh, not a lot of new ground broken here. It's, it's a classic trope, which is that uh, there are hardworking ranchers and there are um, ne'er-do-well ranchers who are trying to encroach on their property and uh, the ne'er-do-wells kill the, the the good ranchers because they feel like they've got the power of the uh, sheriff and the mayor and the, and the powers that be in the area um, behind them so they can do whatever they want without rebu- rebuke and um, in essence they do get away with it and there's the there's this there's this prolonged scene where you've got all the industrialists in a room with their twirly mustaches talking about how they're going to do everything they need to to uh, make all this happen, which is rezoning all of the area and that they're going to be able to push through legislation to make it legal. And they're going to be able to have all of the governmental and and um, and protection ducks in a row. Uh, basically, they're going to do whatever they want, and uh, they because they can, and they're essentially rezoning this entire area and uh, giving it to their themselves and and their friends at the expense of all these other hardworking people that had some legitimate claim on the land. Um, again, happens in a million Western plots, so including Silverado, my favorite Western of all time. Um, so, question is, who's going to stop him? And that's where the Lone Ranger comes in, and he goes about figuring out what's going on and sabotaging them with some, uh, some daring action sequences, including um, placing a barrel full of gunpowder in a strategic spot and getting it all blown up. Um, but in the course of the issue, he realizes he is up against a pretty massive and powerful group and needs some help. So, how does he end the end those end the arc? But he ends up uh, showing up at Tonto's camp and saying, "I need your help." So, and then I guess presuming from there we get the 
Lone Ranger and Tonto kicking ass and taking names. Um, but this first issue is the Lone Ranger and the setup, and then finally saying, I need your help. Um, now, I think Bob Q does a very good job. Um, it's weird. I think when I think of Lone Ranger and Dynamite, I think of John Cassidy, mm-hmm. which is like horrifying to me. So I'm glad that it he, wasn't it wasn't that bad. I, I, I enjoyed the Cassidy stuff. Oh, did you? Yeah. I just don't like Cassidy's art, but um but uh, but I, I so I thought the art was solid here. I love the trope that they play in is a trope that I happen to love. I mean I grew up watching Westerns with my dad. I love Westerns. I wish my kids were into Westerns, but uh I still crave a good Western whenever one comes out. The we get like one Western every three or four years it seems these days. I'm all about it. So so it's a it's a comfortable common uh, story setting for me, so not breaking new ground, but it's okay because it's ground I'm I'm familiar and comfortable in. Um, so yeah, I thought it was well executed, and and I'm definitely curious to see what happens. Um, now we'll get to the point I have, which is just the one thing that irks me about the Lone Ranger is, I, I guess when I I feel like I've had so much experience with Western storytelling, I, I feel like it's strange to me that he's this masked guy. Because in in westerns, like the heroes put their shit out there, man. Like like they're just taking care of business. Like they don't like the good guys are the good guys and the bad guys are the bad guys. And he's gonna go and he's gonna try and right a wrong because he is who he is. It hasn't like he's not trying to hide his identity. And I guess maybe you could. I'm, what I'm gonna get to you is is having only. I, I'm not super familiar with all of the Lone Ranger's backstory. Why is he covering his face? Like is he like what does he have to hide? Well, he was a Texas Ranger. But why is that a problem? Well, Lots of Texas Rangers end up being... No, but out. if if you were trying to thwart all these evildoers, wouldn't a layer of anonymity help you out? Like, it's it's the old um, problems that happen to Peter Parker and Clark Kent all the time. I can't get Superman, so I'm going to go after Lois. You know? Or I, it's, it's in risking... He doesn't have anything to lose by putting the mask on. He's a loner, right? Yes. So that's my point. Like, he has nothing to lose. It's just him. Right, but it looks cool. (laughs) See, there you go. See, but that's my thing. Like, Outlaw Josie Wales, the guys in Silver Rock. Like, just go take care of your business, man. Like, be a dude. Well, it's a a Western superhero, right? It's it's the genre of the West. He's not a superhero, right? Sure, he is. Why? I mean, he's, he's just a. He's not superhuman, right? No. No, but he's, you know, it, the, it's the, the tropes of the superhero genre. I'm going to put a costume on. You know, I have, I have, uh, Batman has the Batmobile. The Lone Ranger has Trigger. Mm-hmm. Or, sorry, Silver. And, yeah, um, Silver. And it's, it's, that's why it works for me. The mask, it, and it's a generational thing, too, because mm-hmm. I said this when I was talking about the Lone Ranger. The the Cassidy one the the Lone Ranger is the great great uncle of Britt Reed the um, Green Hornet right yeah yeah so I mean it's it's there's a legacy aspect of it too not many people really know or care about that but mm-hmm. um, I like the mask I think it's a it's it it works as ex- exceptionally well in within the superhero genre like how hard is it to sell a western co- styled comic book to to superhero readers jonah hex is probably the only character that was 
that ever had a, an enduring run amongst readers. I mean, Westerns mm-hmm. are hard to sell. But is this really, I mean, but this shouldn't be a comic they're trying to sell to superhero readers. It should just be a comic that it, they should be selling to Western fans. And I'm sure Western fans buy it, but um, among mm-hmm. that very shallow pool of comic book buyers, what percentage of those readers are Western fans? Sure. But yeah, I think like I said, all, all I know is, is for some reason the mask turns me off, whereas everything else about the Lone Ranger and the settings and the narrative and the arcs that he undertakes, I'm all about. Like, I'm all for. I love the know? mask. I love it. Um, no, I get it. Like, I, like obvi- I mean, obviously that's a big part of the appeal. I just... I don't quite understand. Like like Zorro, I get. Zorro wears a mask because he is hiding his identity because his identity is essentially a one of the enemy. Like he's he is a landed gentry, right? Like he's right. he's one of the haves. So he has to keep his identity secret. Like I get that. Like Robin Hood, same thing. Like Robin Hood was one of the elite. So he was he was attacking his own people for the good of the poor. So he had to hide his identity. I get that. But the Lone Ranger is just, a, he's a, by definition, he's a loner. He, he, he has one friend who is a native American. Like there's, he, which is, there's been a million awesome tech, uh, Westerns with that protagonist, like badass dude. He's got a reputation. Everybody knows it. And sometimes he's on the bad side. Sometimes these guys are villains. Sometimes they're heroes, but like the reputation precedes them, and they got they, and then something brings them into this uh, moral mission, whether it's like to avenge a wronged death, or to save a kin, or to right, you know, a town's wrong. Like they get pulled into the side of the right, and they just are uh, like, uh, you know, they're like hell on earth. They're just they're just chaos incarnate, and I think that's what the Lone Ranger is in many ways. Like you said, he's, he's supposed to be this incredible gunman. So live your life, dude. Like have your reputation out there. Take care <laughs> of your business. Take the mask off. But his, his best friend is an Indian, you know? And, um, and during this time among the, the quote white men, that wasn't something that was uh, looked upon too fondly. Sure. You know, but I mean, so I, he dances with wolves, then. I, I, I don't know if you missed it, or if you um, considered it a given, but what with this being written by Mark Russell, and I went in expecting a thinly veiled commentary on um, the current state of our world, as Mark Russell mm-hmm. does that very well. Um, the Snagglepuss Chronicles, the Flintstones, they all had um, top-level stories, but if you dug underneath, the the situations and the events within and the the people involved Mm -hmm. in them spoke very directly towards what's going on outside our window. But what does this Senator Rose want to do? He's very, very specific in that he wants to expand the barbed wire, right? And what's barbed wire? He wants to push. He wants to push the boundaries of the wall, mm-hmm. and to to push out the brown and the redskins out of the territories, the the country. And he he believes, and he's he's adamant. He believes that he has God on his side. And I think that, I mean, every day we see shit like this. It's interesting. I 
I'm not saying you're wrong, clearly, because you're right. Russell does get political. But I did not make that connection for one second reading this book. Really? the No, wow. I'm not saying you're wrong. Like, as you say it, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. But here's why. Because I think, number one, he's not – they're not pushing out Browns and Indians. They're pushing out other legitimate landowners. Like, the people they kill are white guys. But Right. But they're pushing every – and they specifically say, the Indians, too, that, you know, the, what what's left of the Indians will be no more once these boundaries yes, are established. Yes, that's true. They do say that. Yeah. But I guess the reason I'm not – I didn't put that in with, the, with like, the Trump thing is that uh, – that is such a classic Western setup. Mm-hmm. No, sure. Um, I, I was, I mean, for me, I always default to the Clint Eastwood, Spaghetti Westerns, and Silverado, and Tombstone. Like, those are my bucket list, or short list of favorite Westerns. There was I'm not one... Saying, I'm, not, I'm not saying they're, they, like, critically should be considered the, the best Westerns ever, but they're the ones that mean the most to me. Right. Um, I'm in the and, Sergio Leone camp, but... Well, that's what I said, the Spaghetti Westerns. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's a, that's a, I mean, that is a trope in four or five of those films. Yeah. One line completely devastated me. It was, it was, it was horrifying in its accuracy. Um, there's a a group of wealthy, um, white men sitting at a table discussing the fate of the, essentially the fate of the, the country while chowing down on, on expensive wine and sausages and, and, and the finery, finer things. And once the the woman comes in, and this is post um, post slavery, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says the woman comes in and she's got a train. She's a black woman, and she's she's serving the food. And he says, "Shit, the only question that was set, that the war settled was whether we should own or rent." That that's a a, mm-hmm. a, a friggin' gut punch, man. And, yeah. and they have her in the background and she's got the tray in her hand and her head's down like, yep. oh, my God. But, um, yeah, and, and, and I think there was another point I wanted to make and um, it just it, – it, it was fleeting. What – oi, okay. But, no, I thought this – I mean, I, I knew going in that it was going to be something like this. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it, all of the, the ranch hands are, in a sense – they're Aryan to a certain degree. Like they, they have pale skin mm-hmm. and blonde hair. And it's, 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 it was an amazing story. And I want to see where it, it, it takes us. And it's probably going to be more of this. Oh, I know what I want to say. The right. Senate, Senator Rose's plan for America mm-hmm. is to run the country. He's, he's a, a plantation owner. He he yes. owns cotton. Yeah, he wants cotton. Yeah, cotton, and he says the the country should be run akin to a cotton plantation, where you have your people who do what they do, and that's all that they do, and we don't let them do anymore, and they know their damn places, right. and and we sit on porches. That's literally what he says. He says, you know, the yeah. the the blacks and the browns are in the fields, and the white man's on the porch drinking and 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 re, you know reveling in the the spoils of his his uh business and it's like holy shit like that, that that's rough you know but it's it's real life rough it's it's yes. it's, mm-hmm. it's dark and it's disturbing but it's not anything unlike what we're seeing today absolutely and so yeah man i mean bottom line is i think of all of the books we threw at each other because you have evil in your heart 
I'm thinking you thought I was going to like not like this book. No, I th- I thought that this would turn you. I thought, okay, okay. Yeah, okay. I thought it, it, it's so okay, well written check. and the art is wonderful. Yeah. Um, and it is a little ranger. Like I, I knew if I threw, you know, the spider at you or green hornet, you'd be like, the fuck. So I, <laughs> I, I, I gave you a character and it was the first issue. I gave you a character that I thought would be a, a very well lubed segue into what I love so much about these characters. And it seems like, you know, it didn't, I'm, I'm sure you're not going to start preaching at the pulpit of the, the pulp it, but I, don't know, um, I love Dr. Fang too. Maybe I'm becoming a convert. It's not hard, man. The 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 genre is just wonderful. It's it's unfettered, old timey. Just now, good. is this a miniseries or an ongoing? It's knowing dynamite. It's probably a miniseries. Yeah. Well, then I'm in. I'll, I will I will read it to its completion. Yeah, they've been adopting, uh, a, a, you know, Red Sonia aside, and and um, very few books they've been adopting the miniseries format. Sure. Well, it makes sense. Yeah, because they never By know the what's going to catch. Oh, I was going to say, speaking of misunderstandings, I, I, I had meant to say this at the beginning of the show. Uh, I don't think it's a big issue one way or the other, but I did want to clear it up for people that maybe aren't on the Facebook group or whatever. Oh, we, yeah. We had a, a, a chat I think was really well received last week at the beginning sure. about um, Chuck Rosansky, and that kind of led into you talking about your daughter and uh, just a – it was a unprompt, impromptu conversation about gender identity and that sort of thing. And uh, at one point, because look, we are who we are. We're, I mean, I'm 44, you're in your 50s, but we are sort of middle-aged white dudes, straight white dudes. So we're kind of learning our way through this. Um, I was trying to make the point about being a transvestite and being like making that choice. And I said uh, transgender and then corrected myself. But it sounded like I was saying transgender and transvestite were a choice, which certainly could be misconstrued as uh, insensitive to transgender. And obviously I think if anyone listened in the spirit of the conversation, it was the intent was exactly the opposite of that. But uh, one of our listeners and friends pointed it out to me and certainly, I mean, I corrected myself, so I was aware I, I certainly didn't mean to convey to anyone out there that may have heard it and taken it the wrong way. Like that. I understand that being transgender is not a choice. Uh, so I wasn't, I didn't ever mean to convey that, but in case you heard it and thought I was, just clearing the air there. So yeah, yeah. much love, peace, and love to you all. But anyway, I don't think it's big deal one or the other, but just in case anyone no, you heard gotta, it and thought like, oh, hey, you know. So Yeah, we don't want to hurt any feelings. Right. Um, right. And I, it, this is one of the reasons why I don't frequent the social media um, <laughs> to the degree that you and David do. I mean, sure. David is – I gave you a little bit of a, a ribbon last time about how prevalent or how um, uh, present you are on social media, but there is not a comment that goes by directed against <laughs> David's targets that David does not retweet or, or put on the Facebooks. And that's great. I mean, that's how he's working it out, but I have to pull back because, and, and to me, the, the, Solution is resoundingly clear, and yet people refuse to accept the solution. Like, why can't you just love everyone? And I, I, I know it's it's incredibly difficult on the one hand to get people to change their mindset in regard to the things that they're afraid of, and that's what it's all coming down to. It's they 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 hate, but behind that hate is fear. 
It has to be because why would you why would you give a damn? If if you weren't afraid of something and you just don't hate out of hate, you gotta you gotta be afraid of it, afraid of of whatever it is. But um, why can't you just? It's so simple. Just just love everyone. It's far easier to just love everyone than it is to hate. Hate takes a lot of friggin' work, right? More work than I want to. I mean, I don't hate people to begin with, but if I was of that mindset, it would be far more work than I I'd like to in which I'd like to engage, right? Sure. So. And and what does it matter what people do with their lives? Why is it so important to these people to to comment and to try and squash what goes on? Like, I, there's a documentary coming out about Satanists called Hail Satan. Right? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. And I am so o- all over that because if there was, I mean, even more so than um, – uh, homosexuality and 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 gender identity issues. The Satanists, I think, are that. I mean, if you're going to put a villain in the story, it's it's going to be some yeah. a Satanist, right? Well, you, you remember. I mean, in the, I can remember going to uh, Barnes and not Barnes and Noble, but the, the bookstores back then that were at the malls that were like Barnes and Noble, and uh, the, the whole idea of of Satanists were such. So, there was this palpable fear that it, you could catch Satanism like a disease. Yeah, like you could you could be tricked into becoming a, sat- a satanic worshiper. Uh, true, um, true story. Mm-hmm. Ninth grade, freshman year, I had uh, I would take books to to school to read, right, and mm-hmm. uh, in in between classes or at lunch and blah blah blah, and I brought the Satanic Bible with me to school. Anton Zandor LeVay's Satanic Bible. I love the book. Brought mm-hmm. it to brought it to school. Had it on top of because it was a paperback and all my other books were bigger. I had it on top of my stack as I was walking to class, to class, to class. And uh, I remember vividly a, f- a friend of mine who I'm still friendly with. I mean, he he was in front of me. He turned around. He said, "What are you reading that shit for?" And I said, "I enjoy this shit." And he's like, "Oh, okay. What what's it about?" And and I and I I told him I said you know it's it's a thinly veiled um, takeoff on the the Necronomicon and blah 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 and it's it's basically serve yourself not something else right life should be lived in service to oneself love who you want to love um, do what you want to do and don't be beholden to something that may or may not be there you know and he's like oh okay that's cool and that was it now I could see today if my son brought the book to school it would be there would be a oh, be there'd be you'd a be shit suspended. storm yeah, yeah. Suspended. and and so it, was it more were we more accepting back then than we are now one would think that as we advance and and develop and and progress that we would be more receptive to yeah different but we're not it's, it's we it's, run the risk of going down a, a rabbit hole here but i, I know uh, i'm sorry but no no but but i will answer your question we are absolutely not more understanding now and i would say Full, full, full candor here. That goes in both directions. I, I think the world has become incredibly divisive. Where uh, no matter what stance you're on, you feel compelled to not only support those like you or with your views, you also have this built-up callousing where you feel compelled to diminish or belittle or attack those who don't share your views. And that is across the spectrum. I'm not saying, you know, like that is not a 
conservatives beating up. I mean, that is a like we're all guilty of it. We meaning like whatever you however you identify yourself. If you're a if you're LGBT or you're straight, if you're a minority or you're white, if you're a progressive or you're a conservative, if you're wealthy or you're poor or middle class, I mean, pick your whatever demographic you put yourself in. Uh, there is this incredible compartmentalization where it's almost become compulsory to diminish the value of every other position that doesn't line up with your own. And I say we because I am super guilty of that. I do it on a constant basis, whether it be making fun of flat earthers or anti-vaxxers or Trumpers. So I am saying this fully looking at myself in the mirror, knowing that I do not live the life that you just described where I should just let people be people. I actively feel the need to tell these people that they're wrong. And I I know it's not right. And I do in like moments like this, I'm conscious of it. And I think, what's the point of it? I am just, you're not going to change them. I'm not going to change their minds. It takes up valuable psychic energy for me. It's, it's not a good look, but I say it knowing that I do continue to do it. So I'm again, I'm not preaching to people and telling you like, Oh, be like me. I'm saying we are the way we are right now, and I, I don't know how we get out of it, but it is definitely a thing. Life is a game of trivial pursuit, right? We're all different slices, different colored slices, those little pie wedges, but I think what people don't realize is we're all in the same fucking tray, right? We're all pieces of that same little tiny pie, you know? And it, mm-hmm. once you pull back and accept that we can be different and unified at the same time right it's it's so blindingly clear but why don't people just realize it Mm -hmm. i don't give a shit what you're doing i don't care like you know my my bugaboo is is religion uh specifically um catholicism it bugs the shit out of me sure but well, I, you know, we have that same view. Yeah, but I'm not out to eradicate them from the face of the earth. I think it's, I, yeah. I you know, I, I don't want, and again, we don't want to go down a rabbit sure. hole, but they can do whatever the hell they want to do. I don't really care. As long it as. It is funny you say that because of all of the segmentation that exists now, I, I'm with you 100% on that. I, I know anyone that's listened to the show for a while knows I have identified as an atheist since I was very young. Uh, I don't hide that fact. Um, but for me, I guess the the one major thing that I think is like where I line up, I'm like this, you're like this. The thing that I, I think I'm very tolerant of is organized religion because A, I, I was brought up Catholic. Same. And B, I'm married to one. Same. So, so as much as I am an atheist and I feel very strongly about that, I've never proselytized atheism as a religion, I have other, I know other people that are atheists and they treat it like a religion. They go out and they try and convert people into their view. And I have never once done that. I, I have my views. I am a hundred percent like hand to the gods, Odin, you know, spaghetti monster, whoever you worship. Uh, I, I am a hundred percent fine with people believing whatever faith they choose to believe in. So long as you do not try to, um, belittle or impugn, other human beings lives because they don't line up with your own 
If you just live your life and your religion and you don't try and force those views into the moral or legal existence of others, man, you do you. Like, right. honestly, I, but like, I, whereas now other things I'm not, I'm, again, I'm not open-minded about other things, but that I've always been totally cool. With. And I think it's because I'm married to one. Like, right. like she, like we talk about it a lot. I mean, she is not, needless to say, she is not a devout Catholic. Like if she was a go to church every Sunday, quote scripture, uh, you know, no, no meat on Friday. I don't think we, we would have ever gotten together or stayed married. Right. I mean, that, that would be a pretty tough, she, she is a very secular Catholic. She, she believes in God. She considers herself Catholic. She goes to church reasonably, you know, maybe once a month, like, but, but, but she's totally, she views the Bible as a hundred percent allegorical, right? Like she sure. knows it's, which I think is the only way that she could be happily married to an atheist, right? Like, right. but anyway, I'm getting on a tangent. Right. But the thing for me is you can have your religion, but when you start to use it as a baseball bat to get people in line if you are a proponent of the most widely accepted version of God on the planet and you take the allegedly the words of this God and you take those words and say, hey, you're going against these words. You're bad. And you try and legislate and other things against people based on the book. That's mm -hmm. bad. That's that's that is very very bad, because especially within the 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 arena of of uh, government, when there should be absolutely no message or no word about God uttered at all, because it doesn't belong there, right? But when yes, you correct. when you start um, when you profess to know what this otherworldly being wants, and you use that. I mean, when, there's nothing more dangerous than a man or woman that believes God is on their side. None. They are the villain in my story. Because then <laughs> it, it's just, it, it's a bad scene. And, it, and it's outside our windows every day. Sorry for this. But, um, you know, uh, it happens. And um, this is, uh, this blame Mark Russell. Right. Yep. He instigated it. He's a very, he's a very, very good writer. He really is. Um, now, I, I didn't listen to last Sunday's joint where you guys talked about all the number ones. Did you talk about Wonder Twins number one? David talked about it on a previous episode uh, where you were present. Um, but He did? Yeah, he did. Uh, and it was his In Your Travels. Oh. Yeah, okay. so if you want to go into it, fine. Do it. No, no. I was going to say un uh, we've been singing Mark Russell's praises. I, I didn't care for the issue at all. Yeah, I didn't even read it. It was, um, I guess most of his book has a humorous bent, so I don't know that why well, I should have been surprised, but it was, it was a little too kitty for me, if that makes sense. Right, right. Um, and it is part of Wonder Comics, so I guess it's supposed to be kitty. Uh, I just didn't really care about it. I di didn't. Um, they, it felt like an Archie, like it, not an Archie book, as in. Sabrina, uh, Afterlife Archie, but like classic Archie, I feel like an Archie book set in the DC universe. And, uh, well, perhaps that's great for some people. It's just, it's not something with the massive Regina pile I have. It's not something I feel the need to, to partake in. Right. I'll be honest. I never liked the wonder twins. 
even you know back in the cartoon they they to me were the outsiders like who are these mm-hmm. people what are they doing hanging around with superman with the justice league it just doesn't make sense well to russell's credit he does establish that um he basically their planet gets destroyed and soups has uh, a close relationship with uh the wonder twins parents and takes them to earth to set them up and take care of them. Right. So he, to his credit, he does establish why they're there, but they're still fish in the water. Yeah. Definition. They were like superpowered Donnie and Marie. Like, That's what? exactly right. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I just didn't, it didn't click with me as a kid. They were the part of the show where I was just like, oh, I'm going to go get a bowl of cereal. So there you go. What, uh, what did, you want to wait to talk about the others until Dap's here? Since- yeah, I think so. I think that would be a disservice to, to Dap because uh, – Sure. But we, we will let the uh, the cat out of the bag. I gave uh, Freedom Fighters number one uh, to Dap, and you gave him Die number one from Correct. Image Comics. Yeah. And, and we read them all for this uh, episode. So when Dap comes back and talks about him, we're going to join in on the fun. And what's funny is you said you hated Die Number One. I I loved Freedom Fighters Number One. I, I it's I thought it was amazing and everything, all the 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 great feel good moments in Freedom. Well, I shouldn't say feel good because it's a very dark book. It's a very dark start to mm-hmm. the series. I thought Die Number One was a slog. It was horrible. So it's interesting. Uh, I read Die Number One at the behest of Caleb. Mm-hmm. And shout out to Caleb, by the way. He and his husband had a fire at their home. Yes. And uh, it's all going to be fine. They're fine. They and the dogs and all their important possessions are all fine. So it's knock on wood. But uh, it's going to be fine. They're getting their house repaired now. But, but you know, scary thing. I mean, it could have. But for some luck and, and um, attentive firefighters, it could have been a conflagration, everything. So it was probably, what, 30 minutes away from being a life-changing event. But anyway, uh, he, he recommended Die to me. And uh, I, as you know, I'm not a D&D guy. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a certified geek in, in every way possible, save for I have never paid, played a single round of Dungeons & Dragons. It's fun. No, I, 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 again, I have no, it's not like I've, uh, I haven't actively avoided it. I, I don't have anything against it. I just never, growing up in my geek circle, which was a small like many of us back then, I didn't have a lot of fellow geeks, and and I just wasn't part of the D and D crew. Just wasn't wasn't my crew. But anyway, um, so I thought I'm wondering if my enjoyment of this versus your lack of enjoyment is because I'm not as beholden to the D and D culture as you are. Maybe well, it wasn't so much the story. I I just didn't click on Stephanie Hans's art. Oh, uh, too, too too polished in manga, uh, like like way too digital. Yeah, very different. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and it it wasn't. I mean, I, I'm not. I won't say it's bad because it's it's obviously not. I mean, she has mm-hmm. a style and she exploits it very well. It's it's not. This is not a book I want to read. It's just not for me. Sure. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. But the um, the premise was okay. It's just the. I mean, and, and I'll just poke Mr. Gillen for a second. I thought the characters, like he throws all this information at us at once about, you know, um, this character was with this character, and then they did they weren't, and this other one is a smart ass, and then mom doesn't like this kid. It's like I was going through this thinking, so what? 
so what? I okay. don't I don't care about any of these kids. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but your mileage may vary. I thought I thought it was a uh, it was a a slog to read. Okay. Yeah. Not for me. That's it. It was just not mm-hmm. for me. Not for you, yeah. No. So what was for you? You got anything else you want to throw to the people? I do, but I'm going to do it in my In Your Travels. Oh, I see. It's like that. Okay. Yeah. Well, if you want to cover something else before we go down that road, have at it. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I have a, yeah, I have a couple things I just wanted to maybe get out there. First of all, I just want to say um, I... I wasn't one and done with the manga people. I have I've read another six chapters of One Piece. It's it's a blast. I I, I mean I think there's what almost over nine hundred chapters now. So yeah. I'm still I just finished chapter eleven. So let's not let's not get it twisted. But uh, but yeah, from from what what I have read so far is a lot of fun, man. I'm really looking forward to continuing the journey. Um, it's just it's silly and. It's, uh, it's, it's just, yeah, it's fun. Um, but there is a book that, um, that was on a lot of people's 11 o'clock list last year. Um, especially for best horror comic Mm. and it didn't make any of our picks because none of us, I think read it, um, at the time. Um, but I did want to, uh, to rectify that because, Listen, our our EOC community is a bunch of smart mo, mo fuckers, and if that many of y'all were singing this book's praises, I took note. Uh, and as it turns out, um, it was I guess named apparently NPR put a list out last year of the hundred favorite horror stories of all time, and they included this book in it. Let me guess. Go ahead, Harrow County. No, I've read Harrow County. Oh wow. What was it then? It was Infidel. Hmm. And I do not know how to say this gentleman's name. So, man, I I guess I should have looked it up before we talked about it. But uh, it is um, written by Pornsack Pichetchote. It's P-O-R-N-S-A-K, first name. P I C H E T S H O T E last name. Hmm. Uh, with Aaron Campbell and Jose Villarubia. Um, it five was issue a, series. Yep, five issue series from Image. Uh, it's it was great. It, it the setting is as follows: um, a there's a, a married couple. And they, the woman is Islamic. Uh, the husband is Christian. His mother is in the picture as a doting mom, grandmom, caretaker. Um, she, like many women of her age, was relatively unaccepting of her daughter-in-law, at least at first. But... And, and as a result, her husband, uh, her son, the husband, is um, skeptical of her being in the picture at all. But the daughter-in-law has c- 
come around and is giving her the benefit of the doubt. She she genu- genuinely believes that the mother-in-law has seen the error of her ways and is trying to be better and doesn't want to ostracize her from the situation, um, which is cool. But they live in a tenement building uh, that some kind of massacre had happened, which has hurt the tenancy and the value of the place. Uh, it turns out that there was um, a bomber that lived in the building, and they accidentally killed some people in the building when one of their bombs went off. Uh, so what's cool about the book is, as you can imagine from even what I've said so far, it, it's a very book – it's a very t- timely, topical book. It, it's, it, it takes a look at the uh, – ongoing tensions we have in this country for um, people that immigrate here, in particular Islamic people, mm-hmm. uh, post 9-11. And, uh, sorry, my dogs are barking. Don't know why. Um, and it uh, it really does a great job of showing flashbacks where there's like a scene, because you're wondering, like, well, the, the mother-in-law is being super nice very, very, the whole time you're thinking, man, like, why does the son, why is he so dubious to his mom? And then they show a flashback scene where, um, the, 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 the son's, her granddaughter, who is the stepdaughter of the, of the Islamic woman is looking at her hajib and, and, um, sorry, my daughter's going insane. I don't know why, um, <laughs> killing me, but I don't know what's causing them to go insane, but, um, I, Let's just enjoy this, people. Um, chaos. Love it. Total chaos. What am I going to do? I got three dogs now. What can I do? Uh, my wife's not here. I got no one to shut them up. Um, but in essence, the, 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 the grandmother at one point sees the granddaughter playing with the hajib and says, like, what? You know, she flips out on her, right? Like, about, like, don't touch that. Like, what are you doing? Like, those people, you know, the, one of those those people things. Mm-hmm. But anyway, like, like but, but through the course of this book, you get the sense like that the, the mother-in-laws come around. Right. But as part of this building, they live in, it's haunted basically. And so they're being bombarded with these horrible visions in particular, the, the protagonist of the book, this Islamic woman is getting these horrible nightmares and they're so visceral and real and just painting this ugly picture of, of, of racism. Everyone around her is evil and um, things go tits up because of her, her nightmares and a tragedy happens, like a serious, serious tragedy, like a, like a, I can't believe that happened type of thing. And it's just, it's one of those books that I love because it's horror, but it's, it's psychological horror. Right. And, and it, it doesn't have a happy ending. Ooh. It ends in a tragic way. And that's the end of the book. And you're like, Oh, so it, it doesn't have some rose colored, like, Oh, Kumbaya. Like, can't we just all get past our differences? Because, we love each other and we can get through all this. No, I mean like shit's fucked. Yeah. So, well, the art is pretty great. I mean, it's, it's oh, very, yeah. very detailed, but then mm-hmm. in, in some passages here, it gets very, uh, very, very painterly. I mean, there's, it's, it's traditionally, uh, you know, black and white, uh, black line and, and the color is not excessive in this book, but then it gets, I don't want to say photorealistic, but it's it gets more textured and more painterly, and it's like wow. I'm I'm looking at the the first issue when the guy comes out, the guy's in the room, and he's he's saying all those obscenities at the the woman, and and uh, it looks like his eyeball falls out. It's like, Ugh. 
Wow. Yes. That's yeah. some, that's some nasty, nasty stuff, and I like it. Yeah. So it's it's a diverse look. No, it's great. The book looks beautiful. It uh, it it's definitely worth people's attention. Uh, if you're not a horror fan because you don't like gore, this is not that. It's more of a psychological horror. So, um, I wouldn't just rule it out for that reason. But uh, yeah, I thought it was terrific. Yeah, it looks great. Um, I'm going to definitely read this. Yeah, you should, man. It's cool stuff. All right, right on. Now, if we're going to do new travels, we can do new travels. All right. Hey, everybody, if you would like to get your books, get them inexpensively and get them delivered right to the front door of your home, where do you go? Not the front door. Right. Discount comic book service, dcbservice.com. Have everything you want from the previous catalog at a fraction of the price. The list of specials will be up, and you can be damn sure that we will have three of the many for you. And uh, if just go there on your own if you want to, dcbservice.com, and check out what you missed last month. Crazy discounts. In your travels, this is a 400 and some page book. And full disclosure, I'm only about 50 pages into it, so I can't go deep on the story. And you're probably all saying, thank you very much. Um, it is a manga, and it's written and drawn by Sutomo Nihai. It's called Abara, Complete Deluxe Edition. It was published by Viz, of course, in their Viz Select or Viz Signature line. Um, so far, the story is, is, uh, not atypical. You have, uh, a man who, who works in a, what looks like some kind of a processing plant. And, and he's called to, to help out. Why? Well, there's, there's something running around called a white gauna. And they mm. need, they need this guy's help. And I was like, okay, what, what's going on here? Um, the white gauna came from this man that was suffering from an ailment. And he goes to, uh, the ailment was he, his hand wouldn't stop twitching. And, um, the way, uh, Nehi draws it. It's all scattered lines and the, the hands just like, it looks like a, uh, um, you haven't seen this, but uh, people listening probably have. If you've seen one of the tool videos where the creatures twitch and the, 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 the puppets and the, the hands are just like flailing all over, that's what it looks like. So he needs to see a doctor like right now. And the woman's like, I'm sorry, uh, you got to take a ticket. And then you probably will get in in like, you know, two weeks while he's speaking. While she's speaking, his hand swells up and all this nasty intestine-looking shit comes out of his hands. These, spy, these spines blow from his back. They, they explode from his back. He pierces the woman's head, chest. Like, she's, she's instantly dead. And he turns into this white gauna type thing. And it looks like a cross between uh, an H.R. Giger nightmare um something from resident evil uh i mean there's a lot it looks like there's a lot of influences on the the, the design of this creature but it's nasty looking faceless it, it there's no uh from what i can see here there's there's you know no eyes to speak of and it looks like it wears its its um skeleton outside of its body it's nasty and it causes some serious problems and the uh the man uh, in question is one um, Denji Kudo. 
He is a black gauna. He literally transforms into a black gauna. So these things fight. And what I read was mostly the, the fight scene between uh, this, this black and white gauna. But Nihai's art is absolutely impeccable. It's stunning. It's, it's, uh, this book, aside from the initial pages in the, the manga like they do in Japan, they'll print the initial couple pages in color, full color, but then it switches to black and white for economic reasons, um, as if they needed help, you know, selling manga or, you know, whatever. But um, it's all black and white, and the artwork is delicious. Oh, my God. It's uh, very expressive line work, um, and Nihai uses the uh, screen tone process where he'll go in and and scratch it out like Daniel Warren Johnson. In fact, this art is very reminiscent to what Daniel Warren Johnson does. So I think you should check this out if you're a fan of Daniel and or manga. But the fight scene goes on for page after page after page. And that's not a detriment. When the art is this beautiful, you you really have to get in there. There's a lot going on. So there's entrails flailing all over the place, tentacles, body parts are ripped off, and people are being crushed by, by falling masonry. It's like crazy, intricate, amazingly detailed shit. But the line belies that fact. The line is very expressive. Some lines, you know, some panels are very, very sparsely detailed. Others, it's like a blizzard of information. You just have to gaze at the panel for, I, I, I looked at a spread for maybe 10, 15 minutes, just looking at all the, the way that he solved the, the graphic problems on this page. It's just amazing, amazing work. I, so far, I love everything about this. It's, it's visceral and disturbing and uncompromising. And it's from Viz, $29.99 hardcover. Like I said, over 400 pages. Um, and I think it is well worth uh, your attention. Abara, complete, and unlike other manga, you're going to get everything in this one volume. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to go scaring up 37 or 89 books. You just you're one and done here. Mm -hmm. um, before I do my inner travels, you made me think of something that I did like in this month's previews, which is they uh, they are going to start reprinting um, English translations in the two manga volume per tray or per volume of the. Uh, Battleship Yamato. Yep, yep, yep. I'm All on it. it. I'm yeah, on me it too. All right, we got. We'll talk about. Let's talk about the first volume when it comes out. Okay. Because I I'm all over that too. Um, in your travels, um, I'm pleasantly surprised. I'm going to recommend an aftershock book. Uh, aftershock hasn't hit with me with as much frequency as it has you and Dap. Mm -hmm. um, but when I saw the creative team on this one, I bought it sight unseen. I knew nothing of what the story was about. So I just bet on the creators, and I'm glad I did. That is um, Stronghold Number 1, uh, written by Phil Hester, with art by Ryan Kelly. Did you read this? I, I did not yet. Okay. Um, very. First of all, the cover super cool. It's this dude walking. He's got a suit, suit and tie and a briefcase walking on the bottom of the ocean floor, which is pretty neat visual. Yeah. Um, but the, it's a very cool premise. It's 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 as I describe it, it's going to sound a little bit like Men in Black, only if Men in Black met the Truman Show. Um, there is a a uh, well, we know him to be a man based on what we've seen in the in the comic. He is a uh, professional, like in, in that he wears a suit, looking um, African American man. Um, 
with glasses, looks relatively like an ordinary dude, like not particularly muscular, not particularly menacing, um, just a dude. His name is Michael Gray. And uh, there's an accident on a bridge, and a uh, vehicle falls into the water, and he jumps into the water and uh, saves the person. And basically is able to breathe underwater for 10, 15 minutes. And he's aware of how weird this is because he's like, wait a minute, how am I, how am I breathing? Um, then we cut scene to, uh, which it looks men in blacky, this, this multi-level subterranean scientific, uh, you know, like open, you know, high ceiling circular walkway facility bustling with activity, hundreds of people, and it's uh, it's called The Stronghold. And we meet Claire, who is at the end of what they're calling a gap year. Now, any of you with college-age kids know that a gap year is the new hotness for kids that uh, graduate high school. They get into a college, they defer for a year, and take the year doing whatever they do, whether it be traveling or working, whatever, and then go to college. So that's called a gap year. So she's referring to being done her gap year, and she is meeting with seemingly the head of the stronghold, um, and then her father, who is clearly one of the important people in the stronghold as well. And uh, we hear that what the gap year is, is basically every person uh, gets one year away from this group called the stronghold, and to just to live a normal life. And then after that, they come back and have uh, a choice. They can either fully embrace working for the stronghold and its mission, or they can choose not to. And any memory they have of the stronghold and its mission and its history will evaporate forever. And they will just be out in the real world living their life. So she is, uh, as I mentioned, her father is a member of the stronghold and she chooses to come back to work for the stronghold. So we then find out that what that is, is basically this Michael Gray character is some kind of omnipotent force, uh, whether it's an alien or a god, what have you. It's it's some kind of foreign entity. And the Earth is, in essence, a holding cell for this creature. Um, everything about his existence is meant to keep him from realizing who he is and just keep him at bay. And they have been doing this for centuries. Just, just, and every, pretty much everybody he comes in contact with, from the waitresses at the diner he eats at to his coworkers to the people in the streets, are people that work for the stronghold, trying to do everything they can to keep his life mundane. And then there's this other group who want to unleash him onto the universe, and they are trying everything they can do to make him realize that he is not a normal human being. And they, of course, are the ones responsible for the car crash, which then led him to jumping in to be a hero and realizing that he's superpowered. Um, so yeah, it's fascinating stuff. And then Claire, who is one of his handlers, even though she comes back, she's got issues and she essentially not kidnaps him, but she leads him on a journey and then confesses to him who she is and what's going on. And she's like, we got to, you know, we got to break free of this and tells him like, you're, you're, you're like omnipotent dude. Like, and we've been lying to you for all this time. And that's how the first issue ends. Hmm. So it's pretty neat premise, man. Like, you know, on one hand, it's it's we've had a million stories where you get this Superman like person who has to wrestle with the fact that they could 
effectively do anything they want, and it's only their moral compass that keeps them from doing it. But uh, but this is cool, like this idea that he's been on Earth for maybe since time immemorial, um, and they have kept him at bay. And then what happens now that he's been made aware of who he is? So it's a cool concept, and you know we're big fans of Phil. Oh yeah, and it's a bummer that Dap's not here because there's no bigger fan of uh, Phil Hester than Dap. And uh, I like Ryan Kelly a lot and haven't seen him in a, in a minute in published work. So, uh, yeah, it's a great team, definitely worthy of your support. And uh, it's a, it's an interesting, unique first issue. Um, we read a lot of comics, and it's hard for an idea to uh, to be completely unusual or something we hadn't seen before. And this felt different enough that I'll, I'll, categor- I'll categorize it that way. Cool. So, yeah. So oh. The Stronghold by Aftershock. I'm going to try that out. Yeah, for sure. You should. Well, people, thank you very much for being here. Uh, remember, if you would like to get more of this, there are other places than your uh, favorite audio player to do that. You can come on our Facebook group. Yeah, We're sure. always having fun there. We're on the Twitters. And if you would uh, be so kind, check out our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics. Lots of fun in that realm as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the meantime, say goodnight, Dave. Oh, boy. Can't mm-hmm. do that. Say goodnight, Jason. Goodnight, Jason. How about that? Make it nice and easy for you. Mm-hmm. All right. Say bye. We'll be back. Oh, yeah. We'll see you all uh, on Wednesday. Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Okay. You Woo-hoo. didn't have that written down. I did not. <laughs> Woo! We'll be back Wednesday. Well, Wednesday if our guest doesn't cancel. Okay. Thursday if our guest doesn't cancel. Right. Bye. Bye.